You're listening to Wasteoids. Static interference on the radio tonight. I know what I know. That was a little bit of West Country Dream. And talk about a dream come true. We've got John Darneal of the Mountain Goats calling in on the hotline this week to discuss his new book, Devil House, and much more. I'm your eventide guide, Ursa Lowley, and you're listening to Claire Audience on Wasteworlds. Each Tuesday night, I arrive with a selection of mellow compositions to lull you to sleep and strange, far-out stories from the Wasteoids hotline. As I mentioned, we've got a special guest with us this evening, author and songwriter John Darneal of the Mountain Goats. But first, some music from four composers from Soviet Russia in 
Listener, here's the part where we normally play a voice message from the Wastoids hotline, which you can call anytime at 1-877-WASTOIDS to share your strange story, out there theory, or mythopoetic manifesto. But right now, we've got something different for you. We're joined on the line by Mr. John Darneal. He's the voice behind Mountain Goats, a reliable source of literate folk rock for decades, and a big sensation on TikTok, I hear. He's also a writer, the author of Wolf in White Van, Universal Harvester, and a new one called Devil House, about a true crime writer and the aftermath of the satanic panic of the 1980s. John, welcome to Claire Audience on Wastoids. We're so happy to have you. It's a pleasure to be here, Ursa. It seems like you can't toss a rock into the air without hitting a true crime show, book, or podcast. The protagonist of your new book is a true crime writer with one big success to his name and a movie adaptation to boot. Do you personally engage with the true crime genre much? No, I'm kind. I'm interested by it, but I don't really read it. Um, although, like everybody else, I have. I mean, here's the thing: like I have, I have goth exposure. Right when I was a teenager, I kind of couldn't get enough of trying to read about that. But it was harder to come by. Like we now live in such a satiated landscape that anything you want to read about, you can, you know, you can have as much of it as you like. Right. When there was a scarcity to that, like you'd, you'd, you'd hear about somebody like Peter Curtin, you know, the, the the vampire of Dusseldorf or, you know, or whoever, and you had to work pretty hard to get the information. At bare minimum, you had to go to the library, right, and dig around in the in the Dewey Decimal System and find which, you know, which five books about this do you have. And then you'd be able to read, you know, Cults That Kill. That was one of them. I kind of can't resist buying these books. I have bunches of them, but I almost never read them. Uh, most of them, you know, there are, there's not that much really great writing. I mean, obviously, Capote is sort of like the, the ground zero for it, and Capote is a good writer, and there are good true crime books. But the feel as it stands right now seems extraordinarily rubbernecky to me, you know, and uh, and uh, and that's some of what this book is about. Um, it's not a critique of true crime. I just don't really, you know, you can't have true crime books without an absolute ocean of human misery. You know, and when you engage it, you are choosing to engage actual lived human misery as entertainment to some extent, right? And that I'm not saying that it's bad to do it. That's where I like want to be. Make it's important to make this distinction. They go, and we're still going to do things like that. We're people. We do stuff to entertain and please ourselves. And if there's no immediate actual cost to anybody, it's fine. It's really fine. You know, but for me, being something of a moralist, I do like to think about this stuff. So. So those are some of my some of my positions. A big theme of this show is sleep and dreams. Your songs sometimes feature fantastical imagery. Do you tend to view your dreams as messages from beyond? No, I like I say, for me partly I, I sort of 
view it as my brain doing maintenance on itself. It like almost has to do with me. And it, it, or if it does, it's like sort of very under the hood. It's like, cause your subconscious knows more about you than you do. Right. So, so I, I feel like it's doing some work that I can't do for myself that I, I'm not doing for myself in my waking hours. It's dealing with that. That's its job. And I'm not good at that job, obviously. So I let it work and I don't, I don't fret about it too much. I do. I did learn a dream interpretation technique from a therapist years and years ago that I think is a very good one. Um, and, uh, it's kind of, I'll warn you that like, if you take it and use it, you won't be able to unlearn it. It's really, uh, you know, cause you'll see like a lot of the time it makes the dream obvious. Right. And, and that is this, that every character in your dream is you. So that's the deal is like, if you have, if you dream that there's some guy running around, uh, uh, throwing chairs through windows and threatening to burn the whole town down, guess who's actually doing that, right? Maybe you're trying to save the town from this guy. So that, that, that complicates it, right? Now it's, now it's two versions of you. And one of them is the version that wants to save. And one of you is the version that wants to be so wild that people have to try and stop him, you know, and stuff like that. You know, um, I think, I, I think that that method is always a good one. Like it's a good, it's a good filter to put over the dream reading first. A fascinating point. Do any strange dreams that you've had come to mind? I was binge watching Breaking Bad, which was fairly new. This is like 10 years ago, right? And boy, oh boy, the episode where they dissolve the guy in acid, right? That thing haunted me for literally a year after I couldn't, and I had a nightmare uh, about having done it. And for a good like month or two, I knew I hadn't actually dissolved anybody in acid, but it really felt like I had. Like I would go to therapy and wonder whether I should talk about this. Like, did I actually, I couldn't place the particulars, but the dream had been so vivid that I was like, well, but maybe you did a thing. Maybe this was a while back during your wild years and you don't remember who it was. You know, you used to take a lot of drugs, maybe. And it really felt real. It was like, in my, God, did you, did you kill somebody? I don't think I killed anybody. You know, it was a very, it was a very messed up thing. The mountain goats were recently on the road playing some shows. How do you sleep on tour? I sleep so badly on tour. I can't sleep for Jack on tour. <laughs> I just really, my sleep is is profoundly affected by tour. And it's, uh, the thing is that has, because of the vulnerable mind states you can find yourself in when you are sleepless. And we know this from like, you know, from really horrifying experiments done by various military entities over the years, um, uh, that, you know, a, a sleepless person, uh, is more likely to be in a vulnerable and open mindset. And I have weaponized that, you know, for myself to, to write good songs, right? I've used that, right? To say, okay, you're all fucked up now, so go ahead and write a song because you probably will find something that you would otherwise have to dig more for, you know? Uh, but but yeah, so I the last couple of tours, I've slept a little better by absolute teetotaling, by, by staying dead sober and 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 actually post because i don't hang out on tour now because we're we may not be in technical quarantine but it's probably inadvisable to be seeing friends and hanging out with them i was already pretty you know i keep to myself but the last tour if i saw somebody it was only to say hello outside the bus and then go directly back into the bus so i was getting to sleep earlier every night and i i, I mean I, i'm still not getting eight hours a night i who knows if that will ever happen for me again. So, I think one night it did. One night I had like an actual like nine hour stretch or something. And I was, that was wild because my older son doesn't sleep well at all. So when I'm at home, I'm usually up in the middle of the night at least once. And uh, and I, I woke up, I was like, whoa, I, I feel so tired. I must not have been asleep for long. 
I was like, well, then don't look at your phone or your watch. You might go to sleep. But I wasn't falling quite. I was still feeling groggy. So, okay, well, go look at your sleep app because my, my phone is linked to a sports watch I wear. And it said, we well, slept nine hours and 15 minutes. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> whoa, whoa. And I felt like I could sleep more because they say when you're, when you're trying to help infants learn how to sleep, that sleep begets sleep. If you can get them to get a little bit of sleep, they will get some more, you know. Well, John, perhaps a few more selections will help inspire those with similar restlessness. Here's something custom-built for lulling. Barry Forgy, Balada. Time is up. What a joy it was to have John here with us. His new book, Devil House, will be released January 25th. Do pre-order it wherever you get books. You'll also find records, shirts, and more from Mountain Goats 
at Hello Merch. Thanks for listening tonight. Want to get in touch with your own strange dream? Give me a call. 1-877-WASTOIDS Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you enjoy our weekly broadcast-style podcast. Claire Audience is produced by Jason Woodbury, channeled by Mandy Kimes, and features original music and sounds by Sam Means. For a full list of the music featured on this show, head over to Wastoids.com. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep listening for the unheard. <laughs>